Kia Koto and welcome to the Champion Next Door podcast episode 15. This conversation is with Rob Hewitt. Rob Hewitt is an ex-Navy diver who is a water safety advocate and in 2006 he got separated from his boat during a diving trip and ended up spending 75 hours in the ocean and lived to tell the tale. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Rob Hewitt. あ、コロパタキオトゴンワ、オンアティカフルヌアウ。あ、カイレダンアコレロ、オタタティプナ、アカカチプアウキアプランアハウ。あ、ノレレコティンワカイレナ。あ、タイマトパカタンヤンアコ
up at the Manaka. So that's that end of the spectrum, mm. you know, for these young fellas. And then, as I mentioned, um, I also run these courses at our local marae. So take it to a place where the whānau feel comfortable. Take it to a place where they can sit down and have conversations uh, about the about the um, day skipper courses or about any courses that we run. Um, yeah, yeah. So we sort of tar- I target that boating mm. because Māori are at the point end of uh, fatalities with our Pacific whānau. and one of the issues is uh, gathering of seafood. So mm. yeah. Yeah, our Māori whānau and Pacific whānau, but everyone, you know, New Zealanders in total, we're not out there to sunbathe. Well, mm-hmm. we aren't. It's black enough as it is, you know, black enough as it is. But we're not out there sunbathing. You know, we're, we're out there um, just doing one thing, which is gathering seafood, um, mm-hmm. gathering kai for the whānau. And this is where we have our, and this is where we have our issues. We may not understand um, the... We might not be confident in the boat. Uh, we might not understand the habitat and environment that of the target species that we're targeting. Um, and somewhere along the line, we may have lost our tikanga. We may have lost our connection with the realm of tangaroa. Mm-hmm. Uh, because like all ancestors that came to New Zealand, they all came, they're all seafarers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so they were very proficient in that space. And as time has moved on, we may have watered down some of our tikanga, some of our kaupapa, some of our competencies in and around the water. Um, yeah, so that's one of the things that I do for Coast Guard and also for um, Water Safety New Zealand. And um, one of the other ones is working with uh, organisations to, in, to embed Māori kaupapa within, um, within their organisation. So we have what we call the Whitewater Leadership, which is a um, strategic strategy that uh, for the next five years to 2025. And it's about using a strength model, utilizing the Whitewater model, but uh, utilizing our strength and creating and bringing the drowning toll down. Rather than um, scaring people into zero drownings, Mm. Uh, identify what works and and strengthen that. So at the moment, I'm working with um, Coast Guard Boating Education, Coast Guard, uh, Drowning Prevention Auckland, Maritime New Zealand, uh, Recreational Aotearoa, around about 10 to 12 different organisations uh, in that water sector space. Uh, and and we're, we're creating roles there for Kaihotu. And these are full-time roles for Māori Kaihotu to um, have a look at the organisation and work out how they can embed that kaupapa or Māori kaupapa into that organisation. Um, and, and we're led by Dr Chanel Phillips, uh, who's on the Whitewater Leadership uh, panel as well. And uh, she looks after all of the Kaihotu in that space. Um, one of the things that we look at, I suppose, is, is we have that governance. So it's all right having Māori advisory groups. It's all right having Kaihotu uh, who sit alongside the CEO 
But one thing that we do need and that we have heard over the last couple of years is Māori want to be at the table. So what does that mean for us? Yeah, and what does that mean for me at that role? It means that they want to see Māori, we want to see Māori at that board level. At the board level. Yeah. So if I look at um, Water Safety New Zealand and their board, um, they've got a, a diverse group there. Um, they've got eight members, four are, Ma uh, four are uh, wahine or ladies, and there's one Māori. If I have a look at Coast Guard, Coast Guard have five, have eight, eight to nine people. Um, four are ladies, once again. Uh, two are Pacifica mm. and three are Māori. Okay. So it's at that board level. And, and same with um, recreational uh, Aotearoa. You know, they've got two, two board members who are Māori as well, a male and a mm. female. So others have got little sprinklings. But if it's, you know, if Māori and Pacifica and Asian are at that pointy end of fatality, yep. then it only makes sense that you're at that table having that, um, having that governance conversation, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's part of the money that I'm doing uh, for Water Safety New Zealand. Okay. And also um, in other spaces as well. So, yeah. so how, like, when you were younger, what was your relationship with the water? How did you become water confident? Because I guess it's a lot different to what it was now. It's, things have changed. And was there more education through the whānau <laughs> than there was maybe now? Or like, how, how did it work for you becoming, you know, yeah, confident yeah, no, in the no, water? Well, I'm a farmer's Yeah, I'm a farmer's son. Yeah. Hey, so uh, I'm, I'm inland. Yeah. Uh, we went to the beach once a year. Um, and I hated it because mm. of the wind blowing the sand onto my feet. Mm. You know, I'm so like, oh, heck, what's my jeans? You know, yeah. Um, and the only back in the yeah, when we went to Mangora for school, which was close to Parongahau, we only had 16 students at our school from juniors all the way to seniors. Mm. So, if there was a hockey tournament, you played hockey, if there was a rugby tournament, you played rugby, tennis, you played tennis, swimming, you learned how to swim. Mm -hmm. um, and we had uh, we had a the old normal concrete swimming pool that came up to your waist type thing and and being mm -hmm. high ends and whatnot about fifteen to twenty meters and um, you know all my brother and I did we just mimicked and watched the swimmers in our school so there was a few of our classmates who had swimming pools at home. So we knew that, hey, you're not going in there to bomb, you're going in there to swim and cool off. So, you know, I, my mate Richard Tully was a very good uh, swimmer. Mm -hmm. So his mum was a swim teacher who taught him. So we just watched how we swam. Yeah, we were obviously bigger. My brother and I were bigger, bigger than him. So we're thinking, okay, if we get this technique right, we power and use our power and brawn to get, push ourselves through, then that's what we'll do. Um, so yeah, yeah, back in those days, you had the bronze, the silver, and the gold medallions or the stars. So so we all went through that because for us back then it was it was all competition, yeah. right? competition between the schools, yeah. and then competition within the schools with each other, right down to yeah, a competition between my brother and I. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and that's how I got connected to the water in that space. Um, 
Ben and Prongaho, and uh, in the summer, uh, you paid five dollars for a key to the to the school swimming pool, and you would bet that throughout that Christmas holiday, because being farmers, we never had holidays. Uh, we never shot off into Hastings or Napier for two or three weeks or for a weekend, but we had to make our own holiday. So one of them was picking up pine cones, get get some money so that we could get a key to the swimming pool. Mm-hmm. And then once you got a key, then your day was sussed. Right. And you're spending most of your time just in and around the water. So, uh, yeah, and then every now and again, once a month, we would get a treat to go into Waipokoro or Waipawa and utilise those swimming pools. Mm-hmm. So it was more the swimming pool space that we grew up in rather than the ocean. Okay. I went to Kyoto College. Uh, I knew how to swim, and and that's where I sort of realised that there was a lot of Maori that didn't. Mm. Um, so, you know, if you're a good sportsman at any sport, I was a third former at Kyoto College, and I played cricket. Yeah. You know, and the college never played cricket until one of our teachers, Richard Schumacher, saw that I had some talent. I'd been playing for Hawks Bay juniors and moving on through those levels and I said I want to still play cricket so I can play New Zealand secondary schools and so on so he said right here let's create a cricket team you're the you're, I'm a third former telling these six seventh formers second year third year fifth how to play cricket but what I could see is they could hit a ball and they could throw a ball bowl a ball down down, down the down the green or down the um, down the pitch you know, um, so that was in the 80s. So in the 80s, these guys would have been perfect 2020 players. Right. Uh, yeah. So, you know, and, and they didn't even have uniforms. I remember going to a cricket game one time and we had rugby jerseys, mm-hmm. black shorts and rugby socks. Mm-hmm. And we were playing Navy Boys High School and they had all their whites and I had my whites on, you know. Yeah. But we beat those fellas because the guys just they had good hand eye coordination. Yeah. So I was a good swimmer at school because when we had our swimming competitions, they said, Right, you know, this is it here. Uh you're up front, you're going to you're going to anchor, you're going to lead, and so on and so on. Um, and then identify uh for our house um who was going to be in those swimming competitions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then from Kyoto College, I joined the Navy. So you had to swim 20, uh, 12 lengths in three minutes or something like that. Or, yeah, no, no, it wasn't three minutes. Heck, that's Daniel Loader. But it was something it was something easy that I thought was easy, right. you know. 15 lengths in, X in nine minutes or something like that. So I, I, I smashed that out of the park. And then I couldn't believe when I turned around that there were guys that hadn't even completed three or four lengths. Still in the so then they had to get yeah, yeah, you know. And, and then I and I'd never been out to out to sea before on a boat. Yeah, I'd never done that. So when they said to me, hey look, we're going to go out on on a frigate and a couple of months time, make sure that you fellas are all good to go. You know, I jump on my frigate. Yeah, we head over to Australia and for the first three days yeah, we're only about maybe 30 miles from land, so I can still see land. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't until we're actually out in the water, like in the Tasman, 
and the second day out there that I realised, and I turned around, I said, oh, yeah, and I'm a young sailor, where's the land? Where's the land? Mm-hmm. You know? They go, bro, you're not going to see land for the next four days. Mm-hmm. And that's where I started to create my relationship with the ocean. Okay. Was at that particular time. You know, because I was I, I shit scared. Yeah, I was thinking, oh, heck. You know, I know I'm a good swimmer, but I can't. I, what if the boat sinks? What if this frigate sinks? 250 other blokes on me, rough as guts, big waves coming down, mm-hmm. sometimes beautiful day, and all you can see is water. Mm-hmm. So if I'm afraid of something, yeah, then I'll, I'll embrace it. Embrace the ocean and say, right, let's see what you've got. Okay. So when I first joined, I was an ordinary seaman, but I, I was a uh, sonarman. So sounding of uh, navigation and ranging. So what that means is that I'm the follow that's sending a pulse, a sonar pulse into the water, trying to find the submarine, maybe hitting a whale and understanding what the echo is that's coming back. Right. Whether it's a solid echo, a soft echo, whether it's a scattered echo. And then from that sound, I can tell what it is straight away. It's a whale, it's a, it's a submarine, it's a rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then looking at the charts. So, uh, being a good swimmer, that yeah, I started to understand the realm of inside Tangaroa and, and, and the tinana of Tangaroa. Um, and then from there, yeah, we're always swimming, always kept me fit. Mm-hmm. So, after my first deployment, I thought I actually quite liked the space in the water. Um, we had Navy divers, which belonged to the ODT, the Operational Dive Team, and they were a little bit of an elite bunch, an elite group, you know. You had to work hard, you had to dive all the time, 24 hours a day, uh, you had to do six months training, um, but the first taster was a six-week taster. If you can handle this, then you can have a look and see if you want to move into the next phase. So... And in that space, that's where I sort of learned um, how to use wetsuits, fins, because by by then I still hadn't actually been in the water and I'm probably five years into my naval career. Right. Yeah, when I say in the water, I mean, um, yeah, we're in the Tasman, we stop for swim, hands to bathe, so we jump off the ship, we swim around, climb back up the ladder or, or whatnot. The, the swimming's all good then. But it's actually doing a different type of water activity, which is diving. Mm. Yeah. And then I became a, um, a defense diver. Um, and then our role was to clean the bottom of the ship, to recover bodies, um, to support police, um, maybe do some underwater welding. If we're away on deployment for six months, anything goes wrong with the ship, whether it be up in Saudi Arabia, Persian Gulf, or down in Antarctica, mm-hmm. yeah, there's usually about five or six, maybe eight um, uh, defense divers on board the, the frigate with mm-hmm. one um, ODT diver, operational uh, dive team member. Okay. And then his role was to look after all diving components on the ship by utilizing us in that space. Yeah. How, big, how big were these so, ships? Oh, these are frigates, so you got 250 men on board, oh, around wow. about okay. 150 long. 150 men as well. Yep. And um, uh, yeah, 
yeah, I'll just stand up here. And, and then from there, it, it was just a matter of doing some time. Uh, time in the water. And um, and I guess as well, it's is just honing my craft. Yeah, so I spent good 10 years just honing my craft, understanding. Yeah, so I understood uh, cold water submersion. Uh, I understood refraction, refraction under the water and how sound moves under the water. Um, I understood, I spent three months on a, an Australian um, submarine, Collins class submarine. So, so I understood how, you know, the cold depths of, the, of that water uh, uh, when we're down in the, in the submarine for three months. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, uh, and coming to the end of my naval career, um, I had only seen the water as a workspace. Uh, you know, I'm there to weld, I'm there to recover. I'm there to utilise the ocean to travel as my road or on my boat. Uh, you know, I'd never actually looked at the ocean as something that I could really connect with. Okay. Yeah, you know, for me, it was a love-hate relationship. I love it when I'm up in the Pacific Islands, like all sailors. I hate it when I'm sailing down to Antarctica and pushing through 40-meter uh, swells on a frigate that's uh, 200 meters long with 148 people on board or 200 people on board. Yeah. Because you're in that fetal position and you're in your pit, and all you're thinking is, what the heck am I doing here? Oh, what am I doing here? And then next minute, you wake up the next day and you're down in Antarctic and you see a whole lot of icebergs and it's just clear as, and you think, oh, well, this was worth it. Mm. Yeah. And then somewhere in there, you know, you have to do the return trip. Right. But you try, you try and hold on to that, the moment, the present. Yeah. Yeah. What, what kind so of. So after my naval career. Yeah. Okay, what, what kind of, like, how cold? That was so ridiculously cold. You must have like special wetsuits to if you're welding the, underneath the boat for what an hour, two hours in yeah. freezing cold temperatures. Like, how does that work logistically? Yeah. So, so there are different types of wetsuits. Um, if I'm if I'm under the under the frigate cleaning, just let's say we're up in Auckland or something like that, I'm only really about. Um, the top person will be two meters deep and the bottom person will be six meters deep. Okay. Uh, yeah. We're just lying on our back. Yeah. We're tied up with, with tethers and we're just lying on our back, just cleaning the bottom of the hull. Mm -hmm. So there's not much standard there for a wee while. Um, the Navy, if you pass your course, you get free wetsuits. Yeah. Which I loved. Uh, and they were the old school closed cell. Yeah. So, um, uh, sorry, open cell. So these were five mil. Um, you also had the wetty type ones, which is three mil, the difference between a closed cell and an open cell wetsuit. Okay. Um, and then if we're down in Antarctica or in colder waters, or if we're in waters that we're going to be three to four hours under the water, then, then you'd uh, definitely be wearing a wetsuit, uh, sorry, yeah. a dry suit. Right. Um, with, with the helmet. Yeah, and you'd yeah. have surface supply. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, depend, and the frigate, they had all of those uh, wetsuits available. Everyone had their own wetsuits and um, just dependent on, on what was available and the task at hand. So sometimes we would have a task, let's say, going up to the Pacific Islands, a lot of whanau around 20, 40, 50 miles out at sea with a net. 
Hey, and these nets don't have anything on it apart from two little milk bottles. No. Next minute, our frigate will just go straight over it. And next minute, it gets caught up in the props. Okay, yeah. So now we have to stop. Divers in the water. Yep. And cut the net away. Mm. You know? uh, or it could be rope. Could be rope. Some 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 fisherman's just chucked his, uh, his birthing line because it's broken, just chucked it over the side. It's floating around and we'll mm. run over it because we won't see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those are some jobs. Yeah, uh, and and tasks. So yeah, we we had different wetsuits and different roles, uh, jobs, wetsuits for different roles and jobs. Yeah, sounds sounds. I don't think I was. Sounds pretty dangerous as well. A lot of those jobs that you're doing, they obviously have to be done, but the danger level's pretty high too, right? I mean, yeah, obviously yeah, well yeah. trained, but. And, and yeah, and, and that's where you just fall on your training. So, you know, there was never a time uh, when I was in the Navy, and, you know, when I joined, they may do it now. There's never a time where I actually went into the water and did a cut of care while I was in the Navy. Okay. Because it was a workspace, you know, it was a workspace. Yeah. I'm not connecting like that. I don't yeah. want to connect like that. Yeah. I just want to make sure I do my job. So when I'm looking at that, I'm thinking to myself, okay, yeah, and this is what I'm getting out when I'm leaving the Navy. And when I, um, I'd done 22 years in the Navy, joined in uh, 1986 and left in 2007, 2008. Okay. Um, and then in 2006, um, that, that's when I thought, right, it was time for me to uh, prepare myself to leave the Navy after 20 years being institutionalized. Uh -huh. Um, so that, that's when I did a uh, civilian dive course. Mm -hmm. And then that's when I sort of uh, went, you know, that's where my journey began. I just treated this uh, dive that I went on as just a normal work dive. I'm there to get the ticket. I'm there to do this. I'm there to do that. Um, I've got two dives, which is about three hours total, two and a half hours total for me. I've got two tanks. I can do this and then just push through that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then that's when I actually, yeah, in 2006, February 2006 is when I um, went missing out at sea for uh, three days and uh, for four days and three nights. And in that space was when I actually had to really connect. Uh, yeah. Um, which was completely new to me. I suppose the last couple of years of my Navy career, I had done uh, a Te Reo Māori course. Uh, I had been working in, at the Navy Marae, so I was trying to water down some of my colonial thoughts uh, by by doing these full immersion courses. You know, full immersion to the Māori course for twelve months, um, and and you're not even saying anything for three months because you're just just too scared to say anything, okay. and everyone's talking into the Māori, and you're just sort of thinking, what the heck, what's going on? Yeah, you know, Danny Wiesner do that for three years yeah, or three yeah. months. Yeah, so so before I went missing out of sea, I was interested in that in that part of my life, my cultural connection. So when I'm missing out at sea uh, during the daytime, it was sixteen hundred. I'm not too worried about it because this is a place that I feel familiar. 
you know, by myself, out in the ocean. I'm familiar here. There's nothing here that I, can, I, I can't handle. Um, this is off Mana, Mana, Mana Island, the northern end. Yeah. And then I think it wasn't until I had I, I saw the sunset. And I don't know why that scared me that much because I had seen and I had been diving in the water. I'll just close this. Yeah. I had um, been diving at night time throughout my naval career. Mm. You know, get up at two o'clock in the morning if there's something wrong with the with the ship at nine o'clock at night, or or you need to clean it um, at seven o'clock at night, or four o'clock in the morning, or two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, you're ready to go at short notice. Mm. So it was just this time I was by myself. I was by myself. I saw the sunset, and then I thought to myself. Who do I know that survived out at sea at nighttime floating in the water? No one. So if no one's done it, then somewhere in here I'm going to die. Yeah. What am I scared of? What am I scared of? As a, as a Kiwi bloke, as a human being, I'm scared of dying. Yeah. And why am I scared of dying? Because I don't know anyone that's died and come back and told us a story. Yeah. So I, I just do what any bloke does, and I I, I cut a here. I pray, mm. you know. Now through that through that time, unbeknown to myself, all I'm trying to do is just offload, you know, so that I can get up to heaven. Because yeah. shit, I'm just some fella. I'm not yeah. that fella. I'm just some fella out there. So that's all I'm. That's all I'm thinking. I'm doing is just offloading all this crap, all of the stuff that I've done in the name for twenty years all of the sinning and everything, and just apologize so that, so that I, I'm bare from all my guilt. Uh, uh. Yeah. And, and not knowing that, I, you know, somewhere in there that I'm starting to connect. And I'm doing this all in Te Reo Māori uh. to myself and in English. Yeah. Um, and then it's when I start going into Te Reo Māori that I, I, I call out to my ancestors, my grandfather, my grandmother who have died, um, you know, I'm calling out to them. I'm saying, this is who I am. I want to stand here. I want to stay here. And I'm connecting myself. Uh, and then for the first two days, um, I'm, I'm just offloading and I'm just peeling those layers of onions away. Uh, to a point, yeah, to a point where what we say in Māori is that I found myself at a place called Te Kore. And Te Kure is the place of the nothingness. Okay. There is nothing there. So for two days, I had only eaten four kinder and one crayfish. My body had uh, gone through osmosis. So uh, I had, um, my body was filled with salt water rather than fresh water. Mm. I entered the water at 95 kgs. I left at 115 kgs wow. uh, four days later because the salt water is heavier than fresh water. And um, it took me eight months to, to trans, transform that water back into, or dilute that water back into fresh water. Mm. Um, taking pills, drinking a lot of fresh water, and just diluting it. Um, yeah, so in day three and day four, um, I was in that wānanga space, or I was in meditation space. 
Yeah, my body, my soul was in that space. And uh, for Māori, they say that first thing you've got to do is, and it's just like um, when you're meditating, uh, you've got to fast. Mm. You've got to not eat for four hours, 36 hours, get rid of all the toxins. Right? And it's only at that point in time can you really connect. So that's what I did. And, and the atua that I connected with at that point in time, at day three and day four, was tangaroa rauhohenemona. So I didn't feel in the day three and day four, didn't feel any cold, didn't feel any pain. But to get there, I felt the cold and I felt pain. Mm. You know, I was still aware that I was still alive, even though I was having thousands and hundreds of hallucinations. Um, and then to a point, you know, I did try and kill myself twice, one a day two, just to that point where I'm thinking that I'm actually getting rid of all this shit. And then to the point where you think that I've got nothing else to give, nothing else to give, this is it. I'm going to do what I need to to, to, to kill myself. I'm going to drink salt water, a whole lot of salt water, dehydrate myself, get down into the gut. I'll spew that all up again, dehydrate again. Mm. And then once I see that black bile, once I see the black bile, then I know that I'm at the base of my gut and it'll start to split. Mm. So this is all the learnings that I've learned when I was a Navy diver. Okay. You know? Yeah. So, and obviously, uh, as a Navy diver, recovering, recovering bodies, um, I had seen a body in the water for a day, two days, three days, four days, six days. Mm. So as I'm looking at my hands, as I'm grabbing my mask and looking at my face, I'm understanding the transformation my body's going through. Mm. Yeah. So... I just do what, yeah, I'm a bloke. I just do what I, I, what normal fellas would do. I would think or other guys would do is, hey, if I see my hand, I just put it under the water. If I don't see it, I can't feel it. As long as I just do this under the water, I know it's moving. But I don't want to look at it. Because what I did do on the second day was I took my glove off to wipe my face because my glove was made of Kevlar. And, and I just cut my face up. Yeah. And then when I pulled my glove off, my fingernails had come off. Mm-hmm. But I knew then, I knew that would happen, you know. But when I see it to myself, oh, heck, okay, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So that's when I really connected in that space. Uh, day three, day four. And then day four, um, I floated from Mana Island, northern end of Mana Island, to the eastern end of Carpenty, or eastern side of, western side of Carpenty. And then woke up by uh, Tananaki. And then I sort of came back down and they found me around the same spot back at Mana on the fourth day. Um, after my rescue, you know, yep, gone through all of that space. A year, a couple of months later, uh, we uh, I wrote a book. Six months later, I wrote a book. Three months after that, I, I made a decision to get back into the water. Um, my daughter was born a year later, uh, and um, and then I wrote another book and just carried on doing some doc- doc- documentaries for uh, I Shouldn't Be Alive and also for National Geographic. But in there, um, I, I'd never really connected. So one of the first things that Paul Holmes said, I think it was when he was alive and he interviewed me, was that, oh, it must be your Navy training that got you through. Uh, no one had actually said um, 
no one had actually said it's because he's Māori or because mm. he connected with karakia or wānau. Mm. So then that was quite interesting to me. So that's when I met up with Anne-Marie Jackson and also Chanel Phillips and uh, down Otago University. That's when I met up with um, other academic whānau and then also practitioners. Mm. And, and, and then started to join some dots with how Māori, through a Māori lens, how we connect using a strength-based approach by utilising the Waipuna model um, that uh, Dr. Chanel Phillips had, had uh, created or designed, mm. um, which then enlightened me. So, you know, I knew that there was a space and time in my survival that I connected. And I connected through, one, who I was, but the mātauranga that I had gathered over a 20, 30-year period in the Navy. Um, and then also through karakia. Uh, yeah. and, and connecting like that. So, yeah. And, and then, you know, we've got uh, PhD students doing their PhDs on uh, Wakahaurua um, about three years after my survival. I got an opportunity to sail on Double Hull Waka as a training manager. And, um, you know, this was, this was after my little stint back here with the Rugby League. I was a manager for the Junior Kiwis, managed the New Zealand Māori Rugby League, assistant manager for the Kiwis. Um, and then I sailed Double Hull Waka. So I'd been back to the water, but I hadn't actually re-engaged it. Hey, I'd been back, yep, I'll go back for a dive and get some kinders, get some kai, but I hadn't actually re-engaged it like I had in the Navy. So mm. I sailed double hull waka from New Zealand to Whakarawa, Nukahiva, Hawaii, San Francisco, San Diego, Mexico, Galapagos, Tahiti, back up through the Pacific Islands to Solomon. Wow. There were seven double hull waka, and um, they start, we sailed for two years. And um, how many people was, were you with there? How many you and a few others, was it? Well, I trained, um, yeah, so each double hull waka had a crew of 16. Okay. They came from all over the Pacific. So we had uh, seven double hull waka, and the seven double hull waka were from, um, we were called Utunialo, which is from Fiji, Marumaru Atua from Cook Island, Te, Te Matawa Maui from New Zealand, Honui from New Zealand, Moolofa from uh, Samoa, Inemwana, which is the Pan Pacific, and then we also had, um, um, what was it? Oh, one or two, one or two others, 16 on each, each vessel. Mm. And so part of my role was to, as training officer, there was, uh, I was the only Maori skipper who had qualification. Yeah. Mm. But I didn't have the mātauranga of a Jack Thatcher, a Frank Kawe, or a uh, Hoturo Kerr. Yeah, when I say Mātauranga, I mean celestial navigators. Okay. Um, but I had my tickets from the Navy of being a sailor and having those commercial tickets. So on those seven double hawaka, I was the only Indigenous skipper mm. at that time. Um, and so, so my role was to put everyone, and we, we trained about 1,600 people. Yeah. Because four people on those waka had to stay for the whole two years. Okay. And then the minimum that others could come and go would be three to four months. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then from there, 
the um, the funder was Dieter Pormann from Germany. And he rings me up and goes, oh, is this Rob Hewitt, the survivor? Yeah, I want you to be a training manager. Oh, we want to sail the South Pacific. I don't like sailing. I don't like sailing. I, but when I have a look at it, my biggest fear was that if I was caught 500 miles out at sea and their boat capsized, uh, then I would find myself back floating in the water trying to survive right. again. Yeah. And Tangaroa said to me, hey, Tangaroa would have said, haven't you learned your lesson, son? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my greatest fear. But then, as I said before, what do you do with your fear? You embrace it. Mm. And, and that's what I did. I embraced it. Yeah. So, um, so from there, we sort of went into um, a, a year and a half training package at the Devonport Naval Base. Uh, we had a house there for two years, three years. We would fly people from the Pacific Islands to Auckland. Uh, we would train them for two to three months. They would go on their boats. The boats were all made up in Auckland. They were $1.2 million each, $1.3 million each. Wow. And then we would, um, and the, the funder, he wanted us to uh, follow whales. Okay, follow whales, the migration of the whale um, from New Zealand, the Kumadek Trench, coming up to Baval Trench, swinging around through to Cook Island, up to uh, Samoa, and uh, sorry, Cook Island, up to Hawaii, across to Hawaii to San Francisco, San Diego, Galapagos. So that's the whole two years that we followed the whale, whale journey and the, and the patterns there of the whales. Um, and, and his total spend was you know, something around the vicinity of $42 million. Wow. You know, to do a documentary. Yeah. Uh, we, we, actually had, we actually had a whole lot of other co-pupper uh, intertwined in that. Hey. What's the so, documentary called? So, oh, so if you go on YouTube, you can have a look at it, and it's uh, the Pacific Voyages trailer. Have a look at that. Okay, I'll definitely check Pacific that out. Voyages trailer on YouTube. Yeah. Yep, and then that will take you to the link of the of the doco. Okay. So that was for the Khan Festival in there. Yeah. Yeah, and then from there, um, once I finished that, you know, um, my train of thought was. I couldn't actually believe how some of these guys weren't connected to the water. You know, a lot of them couldn't swim. A lot of them didn't like the water. A lot of them, even though we were utilizing uh, the same frameworks and the same type designed vessels that, the, that our tipuna had come on, we had lost our tikanga and our connection. Yeah. yeah. So, so then uh, once I'd finished that, little little journey of mine for the last three years uh or, or for four years i actually went up to water safety new zealand and, and just started saying okay so if these guys are like that what's what's the other whanau like around new zealand yeah and that's when i started to move into water safety that's when i started to look at okay what is our fatality rate why are we drowning you know, and then that's when I met up with, um, I reconnected up with Otago University. We started to have those conversations about how we could make it better. Um, rather than having zero, zero drownings, 
and for the next three years, yeah, you, you're never going to do that. So you're already put yourself in the back of the foot, or, or back, back on the back foot. So why not just strengthen their um, water capability by strengthening what they do? So last year, you know, so then we started running dive programs. We looked at we looked at um, how how Māori and Pacifica were were drowning, and they were all drowning. Uh, gathering seafood, gathering kai, uh, not in a swimming pool because we don't go to the swimming pool to learn how to swim, uh, competitive swimming strokes. Yeah, and we've got one girl, Tarina, Tarina Rawiti, at the moment from Otago University, she's in her second year of uh, her PhD, and she's a competitive swimmer. Uh, uh, and when she was young, you know, like 15 or 18, something like that. They went out of the whānau to give her some seafood. They thought, oh, well, you're the swimmer. Swim over there and get some seafood. But she'd never swum in the ocean before. Uh, and she drowned. Uh, yeah, and she couldn't, understand, she couldn't understand why that happened. Yeah. So now she's writing this. She did her master's on it and her, and her PhD's on that as well. It's transforming those skills. Yeah, it's a different yeah. story, isn't it? So, pull, yeah. pull to ocean. Yeah. And I've learned that just from basically I've been on a swimming journey, learned not being able to breathe in the water, coughing and choking, learning to go in the pool and then going out into the ocean. It's choppy and the wind and it's a super different place. You've got currents and all sorts. It's just a different environment. You've got to respect it. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So, you know, and, and, and that's it. So it's about having that respect. It's about having that, that connection mm-hmm. and using that connection and that respect as a strength base to say to our whanau, this is how we will bring drowning tolls down. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, for us as Māori, uh, yes, we talk about life jackets, put the life jacket on, do the life, you know, make sure it fits, make sure it does that. But for Indigenous whanau first, you've got to put on your spiritual life jacket. Mm-hmm. Right. Put your spiritual life jacket on by utilising the Waipuna model um, and the po within that space. Spiritual life jacket, know your whakapapa. Spiritual mm. life jacket, know the pikanga that's adhered to around the water. Spiritual life jacket, um, understand the mātauranga that's been handed down. So there are numerous stories, uh Māori and our Pacific Pano, but also survival stories of, um, of all sailors around the world. Uh, so if we have a look at Kahi Te Rangi, you know, she's from Ōtaki, she's a princess there, she's a, a pau tokomanawa there, uh, and she swam across from Ōtaki to Kapiti Island with a baby on her back, you know, to tell the people on Kapiti Island that, hunt, uh, that people were coming to fight. Wow. A war was coming. Yeah. yeah. So if you have a look at that, um, you know, it, it's embedded. So when I when I finished the sailing, I, I saw that there was a need and talking with others like uh, Associate Professor Anne-Marie Jackson, uh, Professor Chris Buttons, um, and Marky Heimwana, Jordan uh, Whitey, Zach McQuarty, talking to these guys, it was about, okay, so how can we create something in this space? Hey. Mm-hmm. And that was like, that was 10 years ago, eight years ago. And the hardest thing, you know, for us was 
to create that change was to change a mindset. Mm. Uh, change a mindset. And I suppose working with Phil and the guys at Splash Safe, and then also working with um, you know, these guys here, um, White Water, and, and creating change. And, and now, I guess, with uh, the government that we've got now, that we've had for the last um, uh, six years, uh, you know, change is there, and people are wanting to change. There are still some old sticklers out there, which is all good, you know, because it keeps us on our toes. Uh, but but now I, I run dive courses um, with uh, Jerry Greenland up at Tutukaka. He looks after Moana Futures, where he puts all the rangatahi through free diving and dive courses. Um, he also runs um, uh, boating courses. We work with Waitiki Pudia Trust, uh, a Māori organisation down at Rotorua and Takadao Whānau down there uh, around those lakes. Uh, we've been working with the Pokai Diver at Waikato um, and Marky Heimwana, who's a, who's a surfer from Ragland. He is uh, creating a, a, a river safe program for Tainu Waikato. Um, and, and one of the things that we're doing down in Southland at the moment with Otago University is being Hanara. Uh, who's my Fananga, is um, doing his PhD on diving and Māori dive methods. How do we dive? How do we learn how to dive? By utilising pūrāko from his uh, tipuna, uh, Ngāti Kahunu. Yeah. And down south, as I mentioned, is, yeah, it's all about uh, the hā, tihei mauri, or the breathing in, hā ki roto, hā ki waho. Because down there, you've got a very short period of time of survival if you find yourself submerged in the water. Uh -huh. But but it can be done. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. So that, that, that's, um, yeah, in a nutshell, that, that, that's how we sort of roll it out. And uh, that's how we find ourselves here today, bro. Uh, yeah, it's been one hell of, like, everything that's happened in your life that's brought you to, to this place, essentially, where you're now passing on your knowledge and trying to stop any sort of drowning rates, all that story is just that led you to, you seem like you're in the right place, you're the person to to do this. Yeah, 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 you know, if we have a look just last week, two weeks ago up in Auckland, Manukau Harbour, as I said, we had in five days, two weekends, we had five drownings. Mm. Um, and that's because they, they, they dropped from uh, level four to level 3.3 or whatever it was. Mm. Um, but people people hadn't been engaged with the water for uh, for four or five weeks. So if you're not engaged with something, hey, you know, um, you've got to actually realise you've got to do some training before you do that. Yeah. You know, Richie McCaw, all the great All Blacks, all the great um, all the great sportsmen. You know, when they got injured, they 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 made uh, they they got back on the horse through through a pathway through a process. Yeah. Not just, oh, heck, you're going to go straight into All Blacks and play England. Mm. You know, there was a pathway. And I think, um, yeah, that's what we saw um, this time. But, yeah, if we have a look at what happened to those five, there was no succession. And, okay, but we know that there's going to be a lot of guys jumping on their jet skis, a lot of guys jumping, want to jump in the water. Mm. What sort of messaging should we get around there, out there? Hey, and messaging should have been, hey, Check your boat. Go with a mate. Make sure you have plans the night before. Yeah. Plan your trip. Complete your trip. 
Um, just like diving, plan your dive, dive your plan. Yeah. Um, yeah, so th those types of things there. And especially young kids as well. You know, young kids are more on the telephone looking at looking at stuff getting done. Yeah. Then as soon as they see it, they think they can do it. And they don't understand, you know, what some of the issues are like identifying rips um, and then also cold water submersion. What does that yeah. feel like? What does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I know that uh, Otago University again, you've got um, you, you've got some partner down there doing the HRC. So you've got Water Skills for Life, which is, goes through Sport New Zealand and they uh, run through all the sport regional councils to run Water Skills for Life. Uh, and Māori at the moment, and this is all done by swimming pool. Uh -huh. you know? So Otago University, you've got some HRC funding and we're running a program at the moment uh, run a pilots around what does water skills for life look like for for Māori who are coastal, yeah. who don't go to the swimming pool, who only go to the beach to get kai, yeah. uh, or maybe have a barbecue. Yeah. But when I say get kai, yeah, go diving, yeah, and then have a barbecue at the same time. So what does what does that look like for those young kids and for the parents who are teaching them? And that's why if we have a look at Splash Save, mm. you know, for what they've done for Te Reo Māori, they've got the puka puka in Te Reo Māori and in English, that is that is only but one pathway for our whānau to, to achieve that. I suppose given, yeah, and what I've, I've been with Splash Save for a few months now and I've been on some of those community days, just seeing those, just those very basic skills so that children from a young age just always just have that at least that water confidence to go ahead and then maybe learn more that you know when they're going diving and learn the more advanced skills but just having that from a very young age is so important right for the confidence oh, yeah, definitely. more than anything yeah yeah no 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 definitely so it's just a matter now of uh what does that look like you know uh, and, and their confidence. Uh, mm. And the one thing I like about the Splash Save Co-Papa at the moment is that uh, we're teaching ourselves. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, we're teaching ourselves. Or someone very close to you within the whānau is teaching you. Mm. Yeah. Uh, well, we're not pulling away from swim schools, but I think what we're looking at is that there's some whānau and some kids out there that can't afford swim schools. Mm. So if you can't afford it, why do you, um, if you can't afford it, should that be a, a, you know, an Achilles heel for you? Should it be an anchor around your neck? And yeah. the answer to that is no, it shouldn't. You know, if we have a look at the Coast Guard Boat and Education course, the Day Skipper course, uh, the, and the MROC, you know, those courses now have moved from uh, what was a nice course for our Māori and Pacifica because the, the language, the terminologies, were, were quite easy to understand and it was um, multiple choice, you know? Yeah. And you go through, yeah, I can do that. Whereas now the day skippers, you pretty much have to be um, a level, you know, a level two, level two, level three English scholar to understand what they're talking about. And it doesn't quite fit well with whānau where English is their second or third language. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, it's like you're setting them up to fail. Mm. So you sort of think, okay, what else is out there? Well, you could do this course, but you're not going to get any credits because this course here is all is harder. So you've got to do the, get the credits. 
So the question is, who, who's your target audience in this space to get the credits? Mm. Mm. That's and then looking at also, if this is your target audience to get the credits, it's not the target audience that's drowning. Yeah, true. Yeah. Nah, it's good. Yeah, sound, like you're, sounds like you're so busy on so many different projects as well. You, you know, it's really interesting. But I've, I know I said kept me for an hour. So, um, yeah, I just want to say thanks for sharing your story because it's bloody fascinating where you've come to and where you are now and what you're doing and making a difference. Mm. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah, we all make a difference, bro. We all make a difference like this stuff here. All new to me, man. But once you get it out there, right, once you get this stuff out there and people start talking, then it's all about that that social media and that talk. Mm. Yeah. Totally. Well, yeah. that's that's part of the reason I do this. I do this for a bit of sort of fun and just to talk to interesting people like yourselves and learn your story and what you're passionate about and then share that to people and people pick up on that and listen to it and they learn something from it too. So, yeah, it's yeah. really cool. No, no, I like it. I like it. I'll be down at one engine tomorrow. Oh, cool. So we've got a podcast. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. We could have done it in person. Yeah, yeah. No, no, neither did I. I didn't know that either. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's how quick it works. That's how quick it works. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. All, All right. Well, thanks for that, Rob. Excellent. Yep. Hey, appreciate appreciate that, Sam. papa. Uh, whakakapitato uh, mahi mō tēnei karakia uh, whakataka te hau ki juri whakataka te hau ki te tonga kia mā kina kina ki uta, kia mā tara tara ki tai kia hia ki ana te ata kura he tio, he huka, he hauhau tihei maudiora kia ora bro kia ora cheers Rob, bye